just don't hold it this way because your voice goes quietly. So you have to hold it like the top of your. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is going to make me feel really old. Um, probably make this individual feel really old as well. Uh, episode 19, moving along here with the podcast. We have a gentleman who uh, has a great hoops journey um, from the mean streets of Pitt Meadows, a.k.a. the Swamp, uh, to Minnesota, back to UBC, um, on his way to Europe, Uh, coached at the pro level played at the pro level um, and now is still involved with the game working with youth and 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 doing different things in the community i'm excited to have none other than mr doug plum on how are you sir gold and happy to be here thanks for having me on you guys are doing a great thing here i enjoy listening to the pod get it in when i'm on the treadmill listening to my runs yeah how is the uh how's the grit day challenge going for those that don't know um just talk a little bit about what that is and the purpose behind it i think it's a real cool initiative you know we also have you know mike chung who's you know dad is yeah, yeah. you know been dealing with parkinson's for a long time as well wrote a book about it and um you know the more people that I've, i get to know i realize parkinson's touched a lot of people in their lives so just if you want to talk about give a little bit of plug to that and what's happening because you know this podcast will release before uh, grit day happens so um why are you doing it what is the purpose and um how can people get on board if they feel like it cool cool sure um yeah so my dad was diagnosed with parkinson's seven years ago um and it's just i mean it's like any degenerative disease it's a battle um but he uh just watching him like over the last seven years like he's i mean you know him for those that know him he's a warrior right so last year uh, me and my brother and brett mcdonald um we're out having a couple of beers and we thought what's something that we could do that would kind of generate some attention and something outside of the box i mean everyone's fundraising money for something or, or pushing something so i thought what's something that would kind of um encapsulate his spirit um but would also you know, catch people's eyes and raise awareness and raise a little bit of money um so we did this crazy fitness challenge um in 24 hours and we're back for year two so in 24 hours we got to do a half marathon the gross grind two kilometer swim a 100 kilometer cycle 500 push-ups 500 squats 250 pull-ups a 10 minute plank uh and i think that's it but no it's cool i mean uh we we partner with the uh, parkinson society british columbia um which is pretty rare from my understanding. Um, actually, Mike's, his organization is partnered with them as well. So we're pretty excited about it, um, but I'm right in the thick of it now. I got like 18 days left to train for this thing, and I'm woefully underprepared right now. But uh, no, we got like 25 people, and um, I'm excited about it. It's going to be cool. It's, it's a cool day. I mean, it's like obviously an all-day affair, but... Um, yeah, so people want to get on board. I actually, we have like a sub page on um, like the Parkinson's website. Um, people can just, we have a bunch of people, they, you know, they've created like their own teams kind of thing. And just our goal is to raise 30 grand. Last year we raised $13,000. Um, we gave it to a, actually, Zim. Zim uh, recommended Rock City Boxing. So my dad was doing that. They've since shut down because of COVID. So I thought, you know, we'll, we'll try to raise 30 grand and just give it all to the Parkinson's Society and they can have at it. So. Yeah, it's cool. I, I did my donation yesterday and liked the fact that um, um, I really liked the amount that I donated. It was able to go to education, right? So obviously being a teacher, so helping educate um, someone who's, you know, dealing with Parkinson's is kind of cool and that hits home. So people can obviously find the link in your Instagram and follow what's going on. And I know you'll be happy to have people either 
sit in the bleachers and have a Bud Light and cheer you on or jump in for the run or some push-ups or whatever it is just to kind of push you guys throughout the day because it's obviously a crazy grind and, you know, your boy uh, David Goggins and your, your crazy animal. <laughs> that guy's a savage. He is a savage, but yeah. I think... Um, you know, yeah, anyone that knows Norm and, and has followed his journey or knows Mike and uh, his dad and, and other people who have been affected by Parkinson's knows kind of what it can happen, you know, to you mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the big things to take away from it is, you know, your your approach to it mentally, right? If you challenge mm-hmm. it and take it on every day. And I think that's the inspiring thing about your dad is, you know, he can easily just give into it and, and let it kind of take him over. But he wakes every, every day with a new challenge and kind of takes it on like that. And, and he's also so positive about it too, right? Yeah. He's still yeah. the most sarcastic. I've never heard like, that guy complain a day in his life. It's right? incredible. Yeah. Straight dad jokes and dad humor <laughs> and all that stuff. So yeah. 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 So we really, uh, you know, push people to just check it out and, and at least, uh, give them a like. And if you feel like you have a few bucks to donate, then, uh, then do so. Um, how's everything been, man? How's COVID life? Um, you've obviously, you know, transitioned from, you know, you're doing some coaching before, you know, at a pretty high level and kind of decided to, to move on from that, which we'll talk about later in the, in the show. But, um, how's everything been for you the last four or five months? Everybody has their own sort of little story and, and, and approach to it. And what have you done to kind of keep your own sanity and keep pushing through? Um, well, I was in London when this was all going down, um, it's funny, but it's not funny. We were right in the thick of our season. We were in first place out, out there, and uh, I was in London, and uh, I was telling our GM, I said uh, I was keeping an eye, and I had a couple of buddies that are still playing in Europe, so I was like, yo, like our season's going to get canceled. He's like, no, 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 like this is Canada. We're chilling. Next thing I know, overnight, Rudy Gobert touches microphones, and my season's canceled. So I was trying to figure it out, like logistically, how this was all going to work. Like, is our season going to be back on? What's going to happen? Do I hang out 30 days? We sent our players home, but we didn't know if they were going to come back. The season was going to resume, or what was going to happen. But I mean, when you're in a league like that, just the infrastructure of the finances, like it's not feasible to to bring these guys back and forth kind of thing. Um, but, <laughs> excuse me, but I was out there for nine weeks. So I was like, super secluded um but no to be honest it was it was kind of it was interesting because it was like a uh, an exercise in, in mental grit so to speak um just to try to stay busy and find creative things to do i mean i got into the running again when i was out there i bought a treadmill felt like will smith and i am legend just every day <laughs> it's like ground it was like groundhog's day but um no i think i mean it, it's been uh like you said, for all of us, we've all been through something. Obviously, there's stresses that we've all had, but it's been um, it's been healthy just to be able to reconnect and kind of slow down a little bit and uh, get a chance to you know reconnect with some friends, even if that's over Facetime or whatever. Like before this, which seems like a whole nother life ago, it's so easy to get caught up with the Joneses and uh, to be able to slow down and really you know spend that quality time with family and friends and stuff like that has been healthy, I think, for all of us. Yeah, just maybe not necessarily your husband or wife too much. <laughs> you aren't married yet, but uh, we've made it this far. So, yeah, good. All right, man. Well, let's just jump into it. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, this is a fun one for me because we were talking just before we hit record here and talking about, you know, that U17 provincial team year, my first year as a teacher and coach, which we'll definitely uh, chat about a little bit. But, um, you know, what was life like for you growing up and what got you into sport? What sports were you into? Obviously, basketball became and still is a huge passion mm-hmm. for you. But um, just talk about, a you know, a young guy in the swamp 
uh, growing up and what that was like and and um, how the hooks of basketball got into you uh, from an early age. Yeah, you know what? I actually wanted nothing to do with basketball growing up. I wanted to play hockey, and uh, but my parents got divorced when I was, I think I was three. But uh, when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old, I was obsessed with hockey. I was obsessed with Pavel Burry. Pavel Burry was like my my end all be all. That's actually why I wore number ten my whole career. No way. Yeah, yeah, because of Pavel Burry. Um, he was a he was a beast though. He was a beast. He was a beast. And uh, I used to go down to like the uh, the ice rink there to do stick and puck like every day, and I'd just be begging my mom, "Mom, put me in hockey, put me in hockey." And now, like, I'm like, "Mom, I'm a six four white guy from Canada. You put me in basketball. What the hell are you thinking?" I'd be Tom Bertuzzi, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, funny story about that. So I'm down at the ice rink, and my probably after three years of sticking puck, like I'd be playing. What are they called? Shimmy. Yeah, shimmy. And I'm obsessed with hockey. Like, my walls are plastered. I remember I cried when Wayne Gretzky got traded. Like, I was a big-time hockey fan. I wanted nothing to do with basketball. But the day that I knew that I was not going to be a hockey player was uh, this dude is talking to my mom. Like, my mom's ready to pick me up. And there's this guy talking to my mom. And I'm all excited thinking, like, this might be, like, a hockey coach. So I get in the car, got, like, my skates. I'm like, so, Mom, who is that guy? She's like, oh, that guy was a figure skating coach. He wants you to, he wants to train you. <laughs> so from that day going forward, I was like, all right, I need to pivot here. Uh, my mom's not taking the hint. I'm not going to be a hockey player. Is that the Will Ferrell movie? <laughs> yeah. Blades of Glory. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, after that, uh, Rich Goulet, who obviously we were just talking about, um, he was running a program called Little Dribblers. And... Uh, Mom didn't have a lot of money, and obviously hockey was really expensive, and the times didn't work and all that stuff, and um, I got involved in that, and I remember like day two, Rich Goulet walked up to my mom and goes, uh, your boy's got talent, and she goes, well, he just started. He goes, I know talent, so, and then from that point, like I was I was just hooked, man. That, that was it. I played soccer. My dad played semi-pro soccer, so I was kind of toggling between both growing up, and then, you know at a certain point you just got to make a decision i think i was probably 10 or 11 and from there going forward it was just it's been hoops and nothing but hoops since then cool um and just you know we'll get into pit meadows and pit meadows basketball and stuff but you kind of you know you make a bit of a transition in your life as well down south but uh talk a little bit about rich goulet and just kind of you know he's still someone that we always talk about on the side and you know he's affected and and just given back so much to the game of basketball mm-hmm. like they honestly need to name either the community center or the gym like something needs to be named after that guy because i experienced rich goulet and i'm 42 you are now what? 32 yeah so we're 10 years apart people that are 10 years older than me experienced him you know it's the team camps uh the coach you got a chance to coach with him um just talk a little bit about like rich goulet and what he's meant to you and your life and your family's life you know colin obviously played for him as well yeah, yeah. it means a lot to him and just uh you know he's obviously gone through some health struggles recently and everyone's thinking and praying and hoping for him and you know he seems to be doing better but uh you know how how lucky and fortunate you were to have because not everyone grew up in a city where something like little dribblers existed right and then a guy like rich goulet instantly becomes your mentor the guy that gets you into basketball and it's just like talk about how unique that was super fortunate i mean at the time you didn't i didn't realize i just thought this is just what it is and now that i've kind of you know been around a little bit in the basketball circles um just incredibly fortunate like 
to see the way the game has gone now, um, kind of with the proliferation of club basketball and people making a buck off of hoops, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, to see this guy, a French teacher, who every night, like when I would go there in the morning at 6 a.m., he was the guy that was letting me in. It wasn't the janitor. And then at nighttime when they were kicking us out at 10.30, it was him. And he'd be rebounding for me most times. It was incredible. Um, not only was he coaching the senior boys team, but he was running the junior boys team and sometimes even like the grade eight boys, which is just insane. Like now you would never see that now. Um, so yeah, like it, I think the toughness that was instilled in all of us and just like the love of the game. I remember like all of my friends back then from the time school got out until it was dinner time or whatever you had to go home. Like we would just play hoops all day, every day. Um, and I think that he created that culture just based on like his work ethic. The guy was always willing to do anything for everyone. Um, and people think he's a hard ass and he is a hard ass, but I, I mean, if you get to know him, he's got a heart of gold. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, just to have that guy be like the first kind of role model in hoops for me was like super impactful. And you only realize it at the time. Now looking back, realize how fortunate I was. And I try to, you know, there'd be times where when I'm working with youth and stuff like that, and I don't really feel like going or I don't feel like putting the effort in. I think about guys like Goulet and kind of those old school dudes and, and what that did for me um, and try to pay it forward. Yeah. And I think like um, one cool thing I saw on the grit day Instagram, you know, Colin did the takeover and he was like, pulling up to pit and was like can't park here that's coach glaze spot right and it's just like the coach g truck yeah you know? yeah, yeah um but like just when i think of when i think of rich i think of just the word selfless comes to me because he didn't need to do all the things he never did anything for himself like mm-hmm. the team camp like th- that was the craziest experience and richie chambers let me come to it when he was still at centennial and i went as like a grade nine or something mm-hmm. so i had to go for like four years and it's just like all the top teams in BC, teams from up north will come down, they sleep in a classroom, and it's just a week of ball. And you've got like Ken Dockendorf, Rich Chambers, Ebes, like Goulet, these guys doing skills with you, and then you play games in the afternoon. Like, it yeah, was, it was incredible. It was wild. It like, was incredible. And he did like one on one championship, three point championship, prizes. Like, he would do his handspring. Handspring, right? Like, for as long as he could <laughs> until he couldn't do it anymore, right? And just. Like, I just think, like, for, for young people that want to get involved in the game, like, if there's a model to follow, it's, and we're not all going to be a Rich Goulet, right? Of course. Like, you know, he's he dedicated. But just to embody that spirit that those kind of, you know, those, those, I mean, you were fortunate too. You played for Chambers. Yeah. One and the same. For sure. Um, yeah. it's the, Those guys are few and far between, and I think, it's funny that you brought that up, because I was actually thinking about what, what could I do um in the hoops community here to try to you know spread some good and i was thinking about potentially starting like a team camp type thing the model off what related but yeah that was it was dope it was almost like uh well it was like aau before aau i remember you play like in that the team camp championship it was like almost like a separate championship it really mattered it was cool it was a great experience yeah and then you know he started a spring league like i i think there was no other gym other than fox that i'd played more basketball in from my like high school mm-hmm. career was Pitt. like Pitt was just constantly there so it was cool to go back and coach there this year because it was like it just felt the same, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, so that's awesome, yeah. And, and I think a lot of you know, a lot of the people that we've talked to um, grew up with a crew of people that were also invested in the game as well. So interesting that you brought that up, right? And um, just the ability to have people around you that were also like minded and wanted to just put put time into the game. And then you know, knowing that you know you had to transition down to Minnesota. So just talk a little bit about what that was like for you, and 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 um, you know. Was it tough? Was it easy? What were some of the struggles? What what were uh, 
the good things and you know you obviously had a mm-hmm. great career down there and a good time and then you know going into your grade 12 years when you know you kind of come into my life and we get to know each other a little bit but uh talk about transitioning from you know pit meadows bc to minnesota is like yeah that was yeah. It, it was looking back it was crazy i mean i was 14 years old <laughs> i was a punk kid i remember we were i, I decided to play grade nine instead of junior and we lost in, at the time pit meadows was good i mean now i don't think pit meadows is as good obviously Goulet's left and we'll leave that alone yeah we you can throw we, some sort of voice note or tone in there i want 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 or something yeah 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 <laughs> we uh we lost to i think it was hope yeah we lost to hope they had eric williams who ended up going oh, to niagara I forgot about that guy and uh now i think he was, he was coaching at douglas with joe Okay. Anyways, great dude. But at the time, Pitt Meadows should not have lost to Hope. So we're in Provincials, and I think we scored 54 points, and I must have had 42 of these points. And after I, I roll off the court, I'm so mad. I look at my dad, and my dad was kind of in between jobs, but he was working for a company that was based out of Minnesota. And this is like pre-YouTube days, pre-Instagram. So you couldn't, like to be a kid, for, even from Toronto, it was tough. Being from the West Coast, I mean, dude, look at Steve Nash. Steve Nash had one scholarship offer. Tyler Kepke had zero Division One scholarship offers. He had to go to JUCO. You know, now these kids are they're benefiting from kind of the sex appeal of Canada basketball. Is Tyler Kepke not one of the most slept on, like underrated, appreciated? Oh, dude, BC Canadian ballers we've ever seen. Nasty. Like, as a side note, nasty. Like, that guy is ridiculous. He left. He was. It was either between UBC or going to this Division One JUCO. I think it was in. I think it was in Utah. Anyways, yeah. he went down there. Division One JUCO is nothing to sleep on. Like these right. dudes can hoop. 100%. And he goes down there and leads the country in scoring. Yeah. And then goes to, oh, goes on to become a starter at Utah. Yeah, I always, I mean, Bull Kong and Tyler Kepke, those are two dudes. I mean, obviously, you know, guys that come to mind. Willie Gallick yeah. was a beast. Tyrell Merrow was a beast in high school. Jake Dirksen was a beast. But Kepke was like one of the most skilled guards. I mean, I obviously, Nash was before me, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just remember watching Kepke, and I was like, "This this dude can hoop." He was really, really good. Yeah. Um, Sorry, sidebar. Yeah. So we lose, we lose to Hope, and after the game, I go up to my dad. I'm like, "We're, we're getting the hell out of here. I gotta, I gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> so right in front of my teammates, like a like a punk kid, um, the things you do when you're young. But anyways, we moved down to or yeah, my dad was he was working in Minnesota, and. Uh, I just said, I, I need to get out of here. Like, I want to go see what else I can do. And I remember I had to go tell Goulet. I was so, I was terrified. I was a 14-year-old kid. And I packed my bags. And before I went there, actually, I went to Five Star Basketball Camp. I don't, you know what Five Star is? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I got a funny story about that for you. So many legends from Five Star. So I go down to Five Star, this skinny little white kid from Pitt Meadows. I think I'm the truth. And I go down there, and I got Kyle Lowry, Kyle Singletary, J.R. Smith. There was a guy named Goran Sutan. Um... Russell Robinson, he played at Kansas. Anyways, I'm watching all these dudes, and I'm like thinking, at the time, I'm thinking I'm really good. I go down there, I'm like, oh my God, this is like the level that I'm going to have to play at. So now, I've already committed to move down to Minnesota. I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. I'm like, man, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to get cut. Well, thankfully, the basketball in Minnesota is not quite as good as the basketball in uh, upstate New York or or New York. Um, So... Yeah, then our season starts. Sorry. This is your grade 10 year? Yeah, th- this yeah. is going, yeah, my grade 10 year. So I don't even know if I'm going to make the team at this point. 
but I just like on a whim, I'm like, man, I got to get out of here. Like, I think the way that this is going to go, um, not that, I mean, Goulet was doing a fantastic job. It's just where like the game was at and the exposure was at. And that was my, my dream. I wanted to play in the States and I wanted to kind of push myself and see where I, you know, where I stacked up against dudes. Um, but in the States, they, they separate their seasons. So like I could not get in the gym with a, with a coach or I couldn't, I just couldn't get in the gym and this facility we had, I went to high school in Hastings, Minnesota. It's a suburb of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And we had like the nicest facility, like legitimately in the state. It was crazy. We had five gyms. It was insane. The whole building was glass. We had like a replica because Hastings, I guess was the original capital of like Minnesota. It's right on the uh, Mississippi river. And we had this replica of the bridge. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I tell the, I tell the story to kids all the time, just about perseverance and, so I couldn't get in the gym. I couldn't even work on my game. I'm like terrified that I'm not even going to make the team, that all these people back home are going to be right, saying, you know, you shouldn't have moved to the States. It's going to be a mistake for you. So How's that first Minnesota when, some, uh, winter when it starts kicking into? Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. But uh, yeah, I'll just tell a quick story about this. My experience with, you know, not letting an obstacle kind of... You get, you get your snapshot there, Yeah, Corps? you got to let me freaking not let it flex, man. <laughs> not letting an obstacle get in your way. Um, so I couldn't get in the gym because of liability with the States. So I remember uh, we offered to pay, literally they had 30 hoops in this thing. It was like a field house. It was incredible. I can't get one hoop down. And coming from Pitt Meadows where it's like basketball is religion, I can get in the gym whenever I want. I was going crazy. So I'm like, I, I, we offered to pay a teacher. I went to the athletic director. They said no. I went to the superintendent. I wrote a letter to this, or for, then I went to the principal. They said no because of liability. Then I went to the superintendent. I wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper as a 14-year-old kid saying that they weren't they weren't letting me pursue my dreams. So this is because like <laughs> they stagger seasons. So because like men's and women's volleyball is on, you're not allowed to be. Part yeah, of I mean basketball. it's like, it's a it's, blessing and a curse, right? You see, you would never see an athlete like Joe Maurer, you know, like a, a yeah. tri-sport athlete yeah. in Canada because you get like. Like me, I had to quit soccer because you get pressure to get out of these sports in Canada um, and specialize just because we don't have the money to govern like these seasons, right? We don't, it just is what it is. But um, yeah, so after I write this letter, I'm like, I'm just pissed now. I'm like, I, I can't get in the gym. Well, we had a walking track above the gym because it was so cold that the community was loud in there at 5 a.m. So I said to my dad, the hell with it. I'm just going to take these basketballs and I'm going to dribble them outside the janitor's closet. And I went every single morning for six straight weeks and I did two ball dribbling outside the janitor's closet. And after six weeks, the janitor comes out. He goes, hey, kid, come here. He goes, look, if you dribble that goddamn basketball one more time outside my door, I'm going to lose my mind. Let me have my coffee in peace. Here's the key. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but now we got kids that say, oh, I can't come to practice. I missed the bus. I'm like, I lose my mind. But um, yeah, Again, I mean, another janitor story, right? Like that's that and your front office people, most important people in a school. No, for man. sure. It's not even for close. Sure. Yeah. You got to You got to take care of the janitors for sure. And then, yeah, that uh, that year down there, we were awful. We were, which was actually fortunate for me. We went three and twenty-three, um, but I got a chance to play and really get a taste of, you know, kind of American basketball. I remember the first five games, I didn't, I barely played at all. I was on JV, and I was kind of staggering between the games, and 
we had a game. We were actually playing Creighton Durham Hall, which is where Joe Maurer went. And it was kind of, I remember the one moment where like my basketball career started, just literally one moment. And I was so nervous and I caught the ball. It was like garbage time. And I jack it up and I thought this thing was an air ball and it went in. And sometimes you just need that one moment, just a little bit of confidence. And from there, it started to roll a little bit. Thankfully, like I said, we were terrible. So I got an opportunity to play. But at the time, it was great for me for my development. Um, And then that summer was the first kind of experience that I had with AAU. There's an AAU program in Minnesota called Howard Pulley. They're like on the EYBL circuit. And I had like the tryout of my lifetime. And somehow I made this team and that was kind of, that was really, really eye-opening for me because, I mean, the EYBL circuit is like, it's, that's where all the dudes are, right? So being this, I mean, I was still a slow, slow-footed white kid, but uh, yeah, that, that was a great experience. And then after I went through that summer training with these guys all the time and going on that Nike circuit, I remember we'd be down, you know, one weekend you're in New York, one weekend you're in Houston, one weekend you're in New Orleans, um, which was incredible, seeing all these guys. And then you come back, and now I'm playing in suburban Minnesota. And then that's kind of when it took off for me. And my junior year, was we were good. We were one game short of state for like the first time in 20 years for Hastings and came back for my, my senior year. But, yeah, that uh, that summer between my junior and my senior year is where we connected with provincial team. What was the coaching like? Like, was it no shot clock? No shot clock. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, terrible. I remember my, my, my sophomore year, we lost, like, something like 11 straight games at one point. So my coach just <laughs> scrapped the offense, four corners, weave. It was brutal. We'd have games that were, like, 23 to 21 it was awful Four corps, yeah, as we used yeah. to at fox we used to always we would go we play you know like rainier beach we play rainier beach man like, like Lodrick and roderick stewart yes oh wow we, so we play there then we go down to portland play like three or four games now the rainier beach game was not four corner it was you know get after it but then like we go play some some obscure portland team and it was like 12 9 at half it's not even basketball it's like who gets it's it's just who's mentally tougher to hold the ball (laughs) or more stubborn (laughs) um so then before we get into the your you know your junior summer but your junior year is that where do you start to get a few looks or are you getting frustrated thinking like this isn't working out or is it like you're getting a little bit of interest and things are rolling and no it actually i actually had one game my sophomore year we were playing uh patrick o'brien you remember him play for the raps for a bit yeah so he went to i think it was blaine high school and it was the game right before christmas time right before i came home for the first time after i had left um to see my family and stuff at christmas break and i just i had a really good game and there was a scout there obviously because patrick o'brien was playing and i think i had like 25 or something and just whatever had a great game um and then from there i started to get some interest i always tell these kids these days i'm like man you never know who's watching because they sure as heck weren't there to see me play Mm -hmm. but you never know right you just got to be prepared so that was kind of like the first moment where i started to get interest which was exciting but it was nothing you know, I didn't. I wasn't getting like personalized letters. I was getting the generic ones and all the junk mail and stuff like that. But for me at the time, that was kind of validation because I was like, all right, like at least I'm on the radar here. This is starting to work. Um, and then, yeah, that summer after I played Howard Pulley, I went down to um, we were in Northern Iowa, and Greg McDermott was there coaching at the time, and uh, I had a really good team camp. And that was kind of the first team that really like took interest in me um, at the Division One level, and uh, yeah. And then my junior year, it was great. I think I, I averaged like 24 points a game. And I went from averaging like five a game as a sophomore to 24. Um, but still, I was playing in, you know, suburban Minnesota. So mm. they don't really care what you're doing until you're, you're doing it on the AAU circuit. And, uh, and then that's when I came.
came home and played yeah, basketball yeah. bc yeah yeah um so what was the difference between sophomore and junior like did some of the seniors graduate and you were allowed a little more freedom was it a confidence thing like what 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 was the jump from that like how did that honestly it was yeah. it was confidence yeah it was confidence because after playing on that eybl circuit and even though every day like i got destroyed every day i mean I was the only white dude on the court at all times. So it was like, run the pick and roll, get the switch, attack this guy. But it was really humbling. And I, I just had to like work my ass off um, that summer and just kind of attack my weaknesses. But then when I went back, it was like I stepped on the court and I just, you know, I was willing to be vulnerable, which I think nowadays, like not a lot of these kids are, are willing to do that. You very rarely see kids like go to the park and just go play against older dudes and be willing to be the worst player in the gym. Um, but I did that for that whole summer. And then when I got back my junior year, the dudes that I was playing against, I was looking at them. I'm like, yo, I was just guarding J.R. Smith. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Um, I always say confidence is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if like that much had changed in terms of my body. But, you know, when you obviously having the green light and having some of those guys go helps a lot. Mm-hmm. But from a confidence standpoint, I just felt like um, I'd been around such a higher t- caliber of play that, you know, I was kind of like, who are you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, like, that's been brought up so many times over and over, and I just love it. I can't get enough of it because it truly is. And it doesn't matter if it's basketball. It's like you've got to be able to be vulnerable, step out of your comfort zone, and challenge yourself with people that maybe know more than you mm-hmm. or more, you know, well-read than you and and learn and get better, right? Yep. And when it comes to sport, yeah, like, yeah. that's just how it happens, right? Um, that's dope. All right, and then so I remember... I finished my first year at STM. I'm like 25, turning 26. Uh, I go to the Legal Beagle, and Scott Allen is sitting there uh, with with Goulet, and uh, go just start chatting with them. And out of nowhere, Scott's like, "Hey, why don't you why don't you coach with us this summer?" And I was like, mm, "I don't know. I really thought about it or whatever." And he's <laughs> like, "It's a Canada Games year," and then he just starts, you know, listing off the you know, the guys that could potentially be on the team and like what an opportunity would be to, to coach. And I thought, man, why not? And because it was Canada games, I had to be labeled um, as a manager because you needed your yeah, you need certification. Level, or whatever, yeah. right? And uh, the irony was like, I don't even know if you knew, but Goulet didn't have it yet. It was wow. like level three. So he's like, we were in Vegas. He'd be up at night reading and studying the book. Like the guys coached for 30 years at this point, And they're wow. like, not sure if he can be a coach on the Canada Games bench because he hasn't had this piece that's of paper, crazy. right? That's like, crazy, but yeah. that's cool that he had the fortitude to do that. It speaks to, like the character of the kind oh, of person that he is. We would like go play slots, and then it, he'd come back and he'd just be sitting there studying his book because he had the exam like a that's week amazing. before we left for Canada Games, right? Um, and then we do the tryouts at, at White Rock Christian. We're sitting there and we're like, well, you know, this Doug Plum kid is supposed to be coming. I'm like, where is he? And then, like, <laughs> of course, he misses the first tryout because he's nice like that. You know, doesn't need to come to that one. And then I think I think you came. Did you come to the top 30? Yeah, I was yeah. still in minute. I was yeah. driving home. I was. Uh, it was after my senior yeah, Normie prom or something. Normie wouldn't pay for a flight. No, right? cheap guy. Yeah. <laughs> Made Marky drive across the country. <laughs> take us back in two days in a in a ford explorer <laughs> um yeah but i remember i was like hustling to get out there and uh i think i came to, it was mini camp i think it was mini camp yeah. that was at on that yeah. horrible that horrible floor and white rock yeah the oh blue, my goodness rubbery, like waiting yeah, for yeah, an yeah. acl to, yeah 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 um a funny story not a funny story about that situation actually so because i made that team was quinn got cut 
right um, which was tough obviously quinn you know I, that tattoo on my wrist he yeah. stays with a lot of us to this day i got to actually be because the the first trial when you weren't there was at walnut grove mm-hmm. and they made teams and so each coach had a team or whatever and quinn was my he was our, our point guard and so like i got to you know coach him five or six games mm-hmm. and get to know him and see his personality and was like that was just my personal experience with him but that was enough to be like whoa like what no he was different yeah yeah he had the intangibles for sure yeah for sure yeah no it's just funny how just things like that work out and just just different things but you know rest in peace to him obviously is a great guy and you know just the sad part about like just never really got a full crack at it you know one one kind of bad accident but you know the lessons that he's taught and you know the tournament still lives on our our stm was in it two years ago and then being able to like chat with scotty lee right and Mm -hmm. seeing him at the tournament and you know seeing all you guys like mature and become adults like that's kind of quinn's legacy right is like living through that so you know those are cool things um but quinn keist yeah Yeah, yeah. you can you can check out there he's got a foundation and you know good people uh working behind the scenes there so you know obviously their their motto was no regrets um which i think is important because you know he had a tragedy to end his life and mm-hmm. you know it's just i i tweeted out the other day like i'm at the age where i go to more hospitals and funerals than i do stags and weddings you know that's just my age group and it's just like you got to really just you got to live life and enjoy it and have fun or else you know you just never know when things are going to happen so um but yeah i mean that that group of guys that we had it was like you're when you're young and a coach it's like you're kind of naive right so you know you're cutting a guy like quinn keist <laughs> like which is a, crazy he ended up being the player of the game in the in the in the provincial final, final right you know what's crazy yeah i'll tell you a quick story about quinn which is so different than what i see from like a lot of i mean i'm not here to like bash you sports now but just like <laughs> the, the perseverance and like i think the, it's not just a bashing i think if 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 young people take the opportunity to listen it's a learning experience because we yeah. didn't have those i mean we no one people kind of told us but not directly mm-hmm. you know and i think there's always an opportunity to learn so you can either have an ego and be like he doesn't know what he's talking about or you can actually listen and process it and go all right maybe there's some validity to what what these yeah. people are saying right for sure so at, like i literally don't go to the first tryout i get pushed straight through to mini camp Quinn's been through this whole thing. He's been in the province. He's been in the provincial team system and played the year before when I was in the States or whatever, right? So, and it just came down to a numbers game at a certain point because, like, we had Calvin Westbrook, Brent Malish, Connor, and then myself and, and Scott Murph. Lee was Murph. Like, we, we had a we had a bull Kong. Like, we had a nasty uh, guard core on that group. And Quinn ended up just being the odd man out because we needed bigs. Um, and then I'd been friends with Quinn since, you know, we played you. 14 regional against each other and then u15 provincial team were uh, on the same team and then i went down to the states come back the next year and then it ended up playing out like it did and i felt sick because quinn was like a good friend of mine and i walked up to him after and i just i didn't know what to say because i was like man just if it don't let it be him and, it, and then it was and i felt sick and i walked up to him and i said man like what are you what are you gonna do and this is before the times of aau this is before the times of trainers this is like you could if you didn't make provincial team camp he just went to camp like that was it you have nothing to do so i'm expecting him you know i'm going over as a friend expecting to hear him like vent and kind of bitch and moan about what had just happened that it's unfair and he literally looked at me as a 16 year old kid i said what are you gonna do and he goes i'm just gonna work as hard as i can for the next year of my life and prove him wrong well sure enough almost a year to that date 
he's provincial, like the player of the game in the, in the finals. Yeah. I was like, couldn't happen to a better dude. And then obviously after when he he passed, we found out that he you know he was keeping like a journal and stuff, and that's where the no regrets thing came from. He actually wrote in there a passage that was at, shortly after that, basically saying that the, you know the next year of my life I'm going to live with no regrets, which is pretty cool. Dope, man. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and like I said, the opportunity to coach him, you could just see he just was a, such a likable, hardworking dude, right? And, mm-hmm. and very like open-minded and, and coachable. So that's cool. Um, all right, so we jump, you know, we jump into that summer. We got Robbie Sacre, we got Malish, mm-hmm. got G Bath, G Bath. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of characters on that team. We, we sure back. did. We sure <laughs> did. Uh, the coaching staff were a bunch of characters too, apparently. But uh, like for me, it was awesome because I just sat back and I just soaked it up, and I just you know I was just taking mental notes the whole time, right? I was, yeah, yeah. It was a learning experience for me, and and just seeing how things can go, and and you know that was a tough summer for you personally. I think you know Trent, you're. You're a young kid transitioning back and forth between Minnesota and home. Mm-hmm. Um, where is home? What is home? You know these guys. You kind of don't know them. Where do I fit in? You know, and and I know there were times that summer where like you you were kind of like that you just wanted to walk away. Yeah, like from from playing that summer. And you know, you and I had a few talks on the side, and um, you ended up sticking it out, and probably what was be- what ended up being best for you. But just talk about going from you know, being in Hastings where you're the man mm-hmm. and then you play in the AAU circuit, you're the last guy. And then you're back playing with guys that you grew up kind of either not necessarily playing against, but knowing, yeah, right. Yeah. Cause they're your community. age. Yeah. And, and then just being like, okay, well I've had this time away now and these coaches, some of them don't know who I am. Where do I fit in? How does this all work? You know, like it, it yeah, it was that, that was kind of, it was like looking at the time it was terrible because I had gone from, you know, I leave and I take this risk and I go down there and I sophomore year goes okay. And then I play UIBL and then I have this great junior year and then I come home and I kill this first tryout. I remember like I was one of the best players, but at the time I hadn't figured out like, well, who I was as, as a, athlete or like a person and my confidence was kind of it was built on a foundation that wasn't it wasn't secure and that that experience really rocked it because i had then me and scott at the time didn't really see eye to eye um which now looking back i can obviously understand why when you're when you're like i was as a, as a young kid but um i'm actually i i think about this all the time um just how grateful i was to have you at that time because like i was very close to quitting and if i would have quit i mean you know, they say you quit once you quit forever and to be able to stick that out not only you know was it kind of like a boost that you know if someone's at the time you felt like i was slighted but to be able to get through it and like never let them see you sweat so to speak um it kind of built like a a mindset and a way of being um that i still carry on to this day um and that was kind of like the start of it the little bit of adversity that i had um but even more than that just in turn like whether it's sports or work or whatever any sort of team dynamic going from being the man to all of a sudden not being the man and then having to figure that out and when you're a young athlete like your your self-identity is so intertwined with your performance you know and you see these kids all the time like the highs always seem super high and then you have a bad game and then you like feel terrible about yourself. So just learning how to like navigate that at an early age. Um, because once you get to university, I mean, you know, like that's if, if you, if how you feel about yourself is always tied to your performance and you can't kind of just remove yourself from it and not let the highs be so high or the lows be so low, mm-hmm. that's like a crazy roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So to be able to learn that lesson, uh, 
at a little bit younger age than most people usually have to go through it was definitely valuable um because like even my first year at ubc like we were stacked one game i'd score 25 next game i played 12 minutes mm-hmm. i'm like this is crazy mm-hmm. um and then now obviously like in the in the professional world it's like that too you know sometimes you're sometimes you're the pied piper sometimes you get your ass handed to you and so you don't always think it's fair but you just gotta pick yourself up and keep on moving so that was anyways that was kind of the first experience that i had um, with not really getting what i want and hearing no and then sticking it through which was like obviously credit to you i remember mm. i remember we were in the hallway one time and i was like mitch like i don't even know what i said to you but something at the tune like i can't do this anymore you're yeah. like, just stick it out, man. Just stick it out. Just stick it out. But well, I we couldn't I find that. you. You're gone. And I found you in the spare gym and you're just like sitting there staring at the wall. And I was like, all right, well, this is an opportunity for me is <laughs> like, this is an opportunity for me as like a young mentor to like, at least have an uncomfortable conversation for myself and see what we can yeah. figure out. Right. And I was just like, it's going to happen. You know, yeah. like I, you know, I, from a playing standpoint and doesn't necessarily mean like if you if you're a coach now it doesn't matter if you played or not but like just my personal experience and that was like they had the u19 team and i my first year was selected as an alternate yeah. i was the u17 mvp like going in my grade 12 year i was selected the best player in the province preseason like and then i didn't make the u19 team and i was like wtf man like what the heck wow. and then yeah and and ted kuzik who i love i love you ted love you man um you know the last trial he or the last practice i st- I practiced the whole summer. I showed up every day. I showed up early. I worked my ass off because I was like, I'm going to prove to you guys that I should be on this team. Mm-hmm. Now, we were absolutely loaded. Like, we had Mavis and Roy Kruiswick and Curtis Mepham. Like, we weren't bad. We had Randy Knorr. Like, we weren't. Pit Meadows, shout out. Yeah. Curtis Mepham. Yeah, right? Mepham was a stud, right? So, I, I just think, like, you know, I, I could at least offer you something in that moment. And it was up to you to make that decision going mm-hmm. forward. But if if no one kind of talk to you at that point for sure and who knows right so i think the learning like a a big learning point that i took away from that too now as like a young coach is especially in the mentorship side not so much on like the performance side but you're not always going to really know what to say and i I remember thinking back to like what was mitch thinking at that time because now like you're 25 years old it's like what do you know at 25 years old you don't have you know nothing about life at 25 years old but sometimes you don't always need to know what to say you just need to be there yeah, you know, for and sure. people like I don't remember what you said. I just still we talk about this all the time. I remember that in that moment you were there to support me. Yeah, which um, now I you know if I feel like I don't know what to say or maybe I'll say the wrong thing, just being present and showing support is, is huge. I said to you, I said you're going to meet people along for the rest of your life that you know you're not going to agree with. Mm-hmm. Right. So right now you have a coach who maybe doesn't see you in the way you see yourself. But that's going to happen when you go to university. It's going to happen in your professional life, whatever you choose to do, right? And does, just, and does it ever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and so how do you make that work? How do you make that relationship work so that you can get what you need out of it, they get what they need, and we can work together as a team, right? So that was just what I said. And then, and then just that you were, you know, you're had so much ahead of you right you're like 16 years old you know and yeah it's so easy to get caught up in it when you're in the moment like that well i appreciate it buddy no worries man and now we're sitting here recording a podcast which is kind (laughs) of dope so that's just kind of life and how it works and i and i think those are the powerful moments good lad clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the lower mainland the owner shane meyer has worked hard to create a personal experience offering clothing specialized coffee haircuts and beard trims Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C-Bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in-store, 
If you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. Before we talk about post-secondary, two things I want to touch on. One is, um, can we talk about Isaiah Thomas? And two, (laughs) just like we name-dropped a few before, but just like the... It was so fun for me as a coach again because it was a Canada Games year. So it was a big deal, right? Like I remember sitting out on that football stadium. It was like yeah, yeah. 30 plus degrees. They made us sit there for like three and University hours. Regina. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they just had brand new res and like you guys just whooping it up, having fun. And then like, you know, we ended up making the semi, but like saw some really talented guys. So uh, do you want to tell the story of Isaiah Thomas? Or I'll tell I? my version. Okay. Then you remember where you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually have a funny uh, little addendum to it now since I got into, into the coaching world. So we're playing at this, I don't even remember where it was. It was somewhere like Bellevue or some obscure little gym. And this was yeah, we bef- were definitely in the spare gym. We were yeah, not yeah, in the yeah, real yeah, gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is before kind of the relationship with me and Scott that summer had gone a little bit sideways. So I was like still getting a lot of burn. And I remember we start the game and I don't know, we're playing Curtis High School. I'll never forget. They got these ratty jerseys on and there's this little guard. We got Rob Sacre. I'm like, did I? I don't care how good these guards are. I'll literally just olay them and the Rob will beat it up behind me. So I don't know who this guy is. I literally just line up against them and I'm like, whatever. I think their jerseys were rough. rough. Like they were, I was like, okay, what do we got here on Saturday morning? All right. And there's this kid, there's this little kid who's talking at the jump. And I look at Murph and I'm like, all right, man, I got him. I don't know that it's Isaiah Thomas. No one knows that it's Isaiah Thomas. Well, about two possessions into the game, I pick his pocket. He crosses over and I steal the ball and I, I lay it in. As I'm going back, I look at him and I say, cookies. And he, he takes the ball out of bounds and he gives me this look I'll never forget. And he goes, what the, did you say to me, white boy? Dude, the rest of the game, I don't remember. It was a blur. Yeah. This guy, he was like, he would cross me over five times. I would jump at a million fakes and then he would just go by me. And I'm thinking, all right, I got Riley behind me. He would just throw it up, just floaties over the top. And he must have had like 50, man. It was incredible. Like he, I've never been cooked like that in my life to this day. And I like overseas, I played against some pretty good dudes, some guys that are in the league now, but I never had an ass whooping like I had from Isaiah Thomas ever in my life. So then fast forward, I'm coaching. I mean, uh, for just, the record, that's that's what I remember too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, okay. like, we were in the B gym, like we're sitting on benches. So I remember, like, bad posture, just being like, "God damn, this is rough, man. We are getting murdered." And it's rare. Day. Like, usually yeah. when someone is like, you know, they're they're talking trash like that to you, you very rarely see someone back it up. Let alone someone who's like literally five foot seven, tiny, so small, but just incredibly, incredibly skilled. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that ass whooping in my life. Yeah. So now, fast forward whatever I'm, I'm coaching with kyle julius in london and we got a guy ryan anderson who's from seattle ryan anderson played at nebraska and he's yeah. from seattle ryan anderson is best friends with isaiah thomas so ryan i walk in to go watch film with ryan and 
Ryan's on FaceTime with Isaiah Thomas. So I'm like, oh, I tell him the story like he's not going to remember. He remembered. No way. I swear on my life. I swear on my life. We were howling. It's funny, man. The basketball world is super, super small. Oh, it's so tiny. But I got a little bit of closure on that because I was like, all right. At least he remembers. At least he remembers that it must have been a special night (laughs) (laughs) or morning. That's so awesome, man. And then what do you remember from that U17 like Nationals experience? And obviously, you know, we didn't pan out the way we wanted. But I mean, guys like Chris Joseph playing for Quebec who goes to Syracuse, had a little run with the Celtics. Like um, DeVoe Joseph, Ray Corey Joseph's little bro. Like there were guys that could hoop there. For sure. You know, more than even just the hoops, what I remember about that experience was just how unique it was and how special it was. Like it felt like mini Olympics. Um, and that was right at the kind of the cusp of when like AAU came on the scene and there was still like, it was a point of pride to play for your province. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't remember one game more than the other. I remember we lost versus Sask in a game we shouldn't have lost, but, or at least we, we felt like we shouldn't have lost. Our team was pretty talented. Um, I do remember Chris Joseph cooking us though. Mm -hmm. He was playing for Quebec. He was nasty. And then obviously the, the Ontario team, they had DeVoe Joseph, who, who was a heck of a player. Um, but yeah, I just remember like that, that experience was the first time that it was like a, just a community of athletes and it was cool to interact with all these people. And, um, yeah, just kind of the first experience where I, I saw athletes in other disciplines that I could like respect their grind. And I saw like the, at the high, what I thought was the highest level at the time. So yeah, yeah, it was a great experience. Cool. And it was kind of fun too. Like, obviously, you know, you were getting some looks, but like to have a guy like Robbie, just, you know, seven footer and like. You know, some of the games we go to is like Patino in the crowd and all these dudes. I'm like, holy smokes, this is this is fun, man. Like, just yeah, the first time you see it, it's yeah. pretty surreal. Yeah. I remember when Mark Few was walking in the gym. Yeah, you right. remember that he would become Mark yeah. Few. We're going to practice White Rock Christian, this little gym with the worst floor in the world, and there's Mark Few. I'm like, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, nice. Okay, so then you know your senior year. You decide. I know you. You contemplated kind of coming back, right? Mm-hmm. You thought about it. Um, what were kind of the main reasons for you to stay, and then wh- how did you end up deciding on where you're going to go post secondary? You know what? I was actually dating a girl back home, and I was young and lovesick. Oh my god! Here we go. This might be the most important moment of a hoop stream podcast. <laughs> and uh, nineteen episodes and I was, in. Yeah, I was. I was. I remember. I was dating this girl back home, and I was all in my head just a punk kid 16 years old homesick and stuff i'd been away from home now for like two years and um i didn't want to play hoops like when i came home and i came back and i played uh, provincial team before that i was i was just burnt out too like a basketball it'd been my I, I was i mean you know me everything i do is all gas no brakes so i was i was all in on hoops for so long because it had started with that paranoia of like me not being good enough, being a Canadian kid going down that I literally maxed out. And then I just kind of hit a wall. Um, and then you came home and at the end of the summer, with just the way that it went and that, that summer, your junior, your, the summer between your junior and senior year is the most important summer for recruiting. And that was before, like I said before YouTube and Instagram. So it was like, I literally fell off the face of the earth and I had a bad summer. So I just kind of sat there and I was kicking myself and I'm like, man, how can I repair this? Um, and I just called my coach down there and I said, you know, will you, will you take me back? And I went back, we had a good year, but because I'd played provincial team, I'd missed the early signing window. So now I'd had all these guys and I was an international student. This is what a lot of Canadians don't understand. Like if you go down there, you know, people will dog playing at home or whatever. They want to go play in the States. But if you are a Canadian, your scholarship costs like 1.5 to two times 
the, what, what an American costs. So you better come in as a freshman and be an impact player like immediately. Um, and all these kids had already signed. So now I'm waiting. I'm playing the waiting game. And I'm playing in like suburban Minnesota. Like I had a great year. I think I, you know, I averaged 24, 25 or something like that. But again, I'm doing it in suburban Minnesota. I'm not doing it on like the AAU circuit. So a lot of these coaches were super hesitant because I was a white kid in suburban Minnesota. Um, so I was waiting for scholarships to open up. And uh, there was a school of Minnesota State, which was in Mankato, Minnesota. At the time, they were the number one uh, ranked D2 in the country. And uh, the owner of the Timberwolves, Glenn Taylor, he was an alumni. So he like, our facilities were immaculate. It was, yeah, it was incredible. And that conference at the time was really, really good. Um, and I went down there. I had a great visit. And it was, so they knew that I, it was a matter of days. I was waiting for scholarships to open up. And they like put the full court press on me when I was there. It was funny, actually. A good friend of mine, Matt Janning, who's now, Matt's probably making a million a year overseas. But it was between me and Matt. And uh, they said, look, you're a number one recruit, Matt's a number two, but if you wait till tomorrow, because they knew that like the next day was literally when scholarships were potentially going to open up for these schools that I was talking to. And uh, I took the bait. I said, all right, I'll sign. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a really humbling experience because I thought, you know, my goal was to go down there and play Division One. I'm going to Division Two, but my thought process was, okay, do I go to a Division Two school where I'm going to win? Or do I go to like a low-level Division One and get recruited over? Because it, it's dog-eat-dog world down there, like in, in those, in the lower level of Division One. Um, so I take this offer, and the whole summer it was the first time that I like really, I, I was like feeling myself. I thought I was the man. Get the because at the D two level, like it's uncommon to get a full ride. So I had a full ride. I, I kind of chilled for the first time. Like I chilled. Looking back, like I was arrogant. And sure enough, I show up to training camp. Well, we had the Division II preseason player of the year, and then I had three guards that were seniors that were all region, and they were like 23 years old. I'm 17 years old. It you, was. You have the bowl cut? Uh, yeah, I had the Lloyd Christmas, yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I go down there. I'll never forget this. I go down there day one. We do the, the classic, like, you got guards and bigs. Bigs are, are playing one on one in the post, and we're playing, like, closeout one on one. My coach was such a savage, Mark uh, Matt Margenthaler, great dude, but a savage. Rolled out one on one. I was in there for an hour. He had to stop everybody. He made me play defense for an hour. From that point, and that that was the moment that I was like, man, like you can't ever get too big for your bridges. Like I thought I was the man. I thought I was going to go down there and walk in as a freshman and like be the truth. There is a lot of good basketball players in this world. So yeah, I'll never forget that one. <laughs> And how was it like obviously living in residence and being away and like what was that like and how are the guys on the team and it was cool i mean yeah. i was a lot younger because our cutoff dates in canada are, are different right so i was almost like a full year younger than a lot of the other freshmen i think every other freshman to be honest yeah like i know um, like eli he's got one more year then he goes into kindergarten but like in america he'd probably be even one more year right yeah like, like, like i my early my senior year of high school i had guys on my team that were juniors that were like a year older than me right it, it was crazy yeah which is such a just competitive advantage like the difference between being you know a 17 almost 18 year old versus yeah. like a 16 year old turning 17 and that's a, a lot of people development. don't realize right with the provincial teams is like guys that i played with and then you know a couple guys from that year and stuff it's like you can go play all the aau tournaments but yeah. you can't play the canadian ones because you actually have to be of age yeah right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So you which have. makes it even harder for a lot of these canadian kids because well that's why you see a lot of kids playing prep now which is yeah. kind of leveling the playing field yeah. right um exactly. but if you go down there as like a 
of yeah. a, a raw 17 year old versus someone who's almost turning 19 yeah and now your your scholarship costs one and a half to two times as more like you better be producing from day one for sure or else you're just out it just is what it is so, so maybe ontario with grade 13 and and quebec with cjep mm-hmm. we're on to something right yeah another year of experience and it's like yeah no with, for with sure each year it's better yeah for sure cool but um, yeah, to, sorry to answer I'll your question. Ahead. Residence, it, it was cool. I mean, it was the first time that you know you're you're a young kid and you get away from mom and dad a little bit and everything that that entails. Yeah. So it was uh, it was it was cool. I mean, it podcast. was. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are the chronicles. Yeah, we we'll should have a side one. podcast. I yeah. feel like a few of our guests have some stories, but it's family friendly. <laughs> and then, so you played two years, right? I played one year down there. Oh, okay. So did you? All right. So let's, let's talk about that then. So, just one year. How was the team? How were you? How we were, we were good. We did actually you end up lost. getting some burn or what? No, not no. at all. I played thirty-two minutes the entire season. Thirty or thirty games. Over thirty games. Yeah, yeah, thirty-two minutes. I didn't play a minute the last second half of the year. Which I mean, so at this point, like, I have these great two years, a great three years of high school, but I'd had that kind of situation you know on the provincial team which kind of got me ready for this but i just i was like burnt out of hoops again man i was just like man like am i doing this for myself and do i still love the game or am i doing this because i like identify as an athlete and i don't know anything else Mm -hmm. and then i just i came home i didn't i didn't know what i was going to do and um i spent the summer at home and i was i kind of fell out of love with basketball um and i was really struggling with it and then one of my good friends my childhood best friend dylan gadner he was going to university of fraser valley and pat lee had just got fired and Barnaby Craddock took the job after he was at Brandon. And uh, I wanted nothing to do with hoops. I was, I was, as far as I was concerned, I was done. And Dylan was asking me, he's like, man, just come to these open gyms. Just come to these open gyms. And I'm like sitting here looking at him. I'm like, bro, honestly, all my friends are playing in the tournament, Division One. I. I just went to Division Two, played 32 minutes. I kind of like messed this situation up. I want nothing to do with basketball. And uh, anyways, after about six weeks of him saying, just come out, just come out, just come out, just play for fun for the first time. And then I, anyways, I went out to these open gyms and met Barnaby. And it was the first time in like a long time that I had fun playing hoops. Um, and it was just about the love of the game again. And I ended up going to UFE for that year. I had to sit out the first half of the year because like transfer rules from, yeah, you could play like 365 days. <laughs> I remember my first game at Fraser Valley that I was eligible to play. It was Barnaby's first game back at Brandon. And he had left them, right? But those, like Danny Charlery was still there. Oh, right. Because they made the national final. They made the right? national final, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they had a, like a, that team was nasty. Yeah. And Barnaby, I remember he was pretty nervous and like our team wasn't that good, but, Barnes you know. Barnaby's a great dude. Great dude. Yeah. We wanted to show up for him, but we, uh, sadly, we got thumped by 40 points. And Danny Charlery put an absolute ass beating on me. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I was there for that year, and, and it was great. And then, um, unfortunately, the next season, going into my training, our training camp, I just put on a bunch of weight. Like I, I was lifting really heavy, and I tore my quadricep, and then that kept me out for that entire year. And which so it's just like I had this crate, like this up and down journey to this point with hoops. I was like, man, like I just want, I just want to play. I just yeah. want to play and yeah, get yeah. back in the game. And then I was, you know, I play half the season after not playing the whole year before, and then now I'm hurt. And uh, but I still I still love the game and it was just it was like dark days for me as an athlete. But it, now looking back, like super super healthy because you had to soul search like at a young age. Like who the hell are you in this world? Um, and then after that, that's when I started talking to Kevin, and, and that's when I got into UBC. So the grades were still good enough, hey? 
Uh, Kev pulled a couple strings for me. <laughs> I think he pulled that exe- the, that exemption. One or two per team. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And yeah. then you trans, you know, you transfer over there, and then you jump into like just a great group of guys. And yeah, had some really strong years, right? Yeah, um, yeah. No, that was. It was actually Randy Nor that recruited me for the most part. And I remember at that point, I was like, all right, like, I'm not going to go back to the States now. This has been a crazy ride to this point. I just want to be a part of a team that has a chance to win with that have guys that do it the right way Um, and really be a part of a team, be a part of like a winning culture. And Randy was the guy that I actually played with him on the Mustangs and the Guilford Men's League here. And I've never, I mean, the the pod you had with Randy was phenomenal. I've never met a tougher individual than Randy Nor. He's like the all-time winner. Uh, Nothing but respect for Randy. Um but yeah, I went out there and we had a we had a fantastic team that my my first year. I mean, we had not looking back like we had Josh White, we had Nate Yu, we had Melvin Mayot, who was he was like Bull Kong before Bull Kong, and he got you know he got a little hampered there at the end of his career. We had Murph, we had myself, we had Kamar Burke, we had Balraj Baines, we had G Bath, we had Brent Malish. Like we had a squad, we were nice. Um, we were ranked preseason number one. We were rolling three people. This is kind of before the CIS. Like they started adding all these teams too. Um, but even still, like we you know we were playing a little bit of a powder cake schedule compared to what they were playing out east. But no, that that was a fantastic year. That was just. We had guys that loved hoops, and you know we had probably five or six guys that could have played at some level of Division One or Division Two basketball, and it was it was just good. But having Randy there was phenomenal because he kind of, after that crazy ride that I'd had those couple of years, not only did he instill confidence in me, but he instilled the love of the game again and just like the love to compete. So I always feel indebted to Randy for that. Haven't seen him in a while, but got to take him out for a beer here soon. A little bit of stability too, right? Finally, of just kind of ro- rocking around and being like, okay, this finally now kind of feels like home right yeah 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 also helps the confidence too mm-hmm. now did you guys lose in the national final we lost this is the, the one so i can't tell you i mean i'm sure you can attest to this once you get through it i don't remember like one game we literally were driving here and corbs is trying to bring up like all these different moments and stuff and like and i'm coaching i'm like no idea how many times in the car like a 40 minute ride i was like no clue no yeah, idea i don't remember that you remember yeah, the relationships remember you remember yeah. like the times off yeah. the court with your boys and stuff like that but yeah i can't remember one game more than another game except this game so we played trinity we're ranked number one the whole season and like we played the the division one teams in the preseason we win every game now mind you those guys they, they like have two practices so i still think those are a bit of a sham when you do the, the preseason games but that's neither here nor there we'll take it and uh we play trinity western and this is like scott allen so scott allen is coaching at trinity are you playing so i got a vendetta trinity? no no this is earlier on in the year so I, kev's I, I believe one of kev's parents passed away yeah. randy had to fill in and coach we played them to start the season at ubc at, at trinity Old Trinity? Old Trinity. And okay, we thumped yeah. them by 30 both nights. The barn, yeah. But they had Kyle Costin. They had Tyrell Mara. They had uh, Tristan Smith. They had... Who am I missing? I can't remember. That Jake Dirksen. Yeah, like, Jake this Dirksen, team right? was yeah. loaded. Yeah. And we beat them by 30 both nights without our head coach. We're talking mad trash. Season goes on. Come the semifinals. First game we play Acadia... They had Owen Klassen. Big shout out. He's a beast. He's the only guy to ever dunk on me in my career. Um, I was actually just watching the CBL. He's still an animal. Um, and then the semis, we play Trinity. Well, you, you know what they say as a coach. You play someone three times, third time, never good. Never good. If you've won the first two, never good. We're up 18 points in the national semifinal versus Trinity. 
we're looking at playing Carlton in the final. Like we already know Carlton's already advanced. Yeah. In the, th- I believe it was late in the third quarter. We went into a zone. Kyle Cawson hits like three threes. Game was over. Game was over. Our sphincter got super tight. It was it. And we pissed that one away, but it was the most nervous that I'd ever been for a game. And I literally had, I was over. Mm. I had 20 the night before and then over. But our team was like, we had such a, we had such a deep team that, you know, Josh White was like the pre, he was the player of the year the year before and Josh was a stud. But on any given night, it was like you could have a guy that would score 20 or right. you just, it was a really hard thing to navigate because you're like, tonight I might play 30 minutes mm. and I might score 20 or I might literally have a bad first shift and then mm. play 10 minutes, right? which was a challenge. But um, yeah, that, that's like the one game that still to this day, yeah. it burns because I'm like, man, we should have won that game. And I'm sure all my team, we talk about it all the time every time we go for yeah. dinner or whatever with, with uh, the guys from that team. But yeah, unfortunately, that's that's the only game I really remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it's funny. It's it's kind of feel the same as well. Uh, so then, you know, you finish your eligibility there. At what point did you start to think like you you really wanted to move on and play, you know, mm-hmm. professionally? Is that something that was maybe even from like you know the grade nine ten years? Was that in the back of your mind? Yeah. Or was it like you know you obviously said you wanted to play Division One? When did you think like, hey, I might be able to and want to? play basketball and get paid to because that would be kind of fun when i was 12 years old i knew that i wasn't gonna make the nba i remember watching on tv one day i can't remember i think i was watching vince carter i think it was the 2000 dunk contest and vince carter went through the legs and i was watching the things and then trace mcgrady was in the same dunk contest it wasn't steve francis Francis. and i'm watching these dudes and i'm just like yo i just i can't do that (laughs) steve francis is throwing lobs and like he couldn't like palm a ball in the back. No, he couldn't just, palm all a he ball, do is throw lobs, which made his just, dunk so oh impressive. Yeah. It was wild. That dunk contest still to this day. Crazy. I remember that like yesterday, but I remember watching that and I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to make the NBA. <laughs> What's my contingency plan? And I, I decided, okay, I want to, I want to play in Europe. I want to at least like see the world a little bit and do that. And I was, I wrote that on a piece of paper beside my, I kept it beside my desk and, you know, growing up, um, so yeah, I'd always wanted to do that. And then plus, just based on like the journey that I'd had, I knew that you know a lot of my friends weren't going to go to the NBA, but I wanted to level the playing field just for myself to feel like, okay, I could like have, have peace with the way that this thing ended, that at least I persevered. And by the end of it, I came out and it was a wash um, just for like a, a, a mental win for myself. Um, yeah, so after my, my last year at UBC, I, uh, I got a job in Hungary. Spencer McKay actually took the job, and then he played for the same team. I was in uh, Zalegerzeg, Hungary, which was wild, right on the Austrian-Hungarian border. Yeah. Um, I was about two hours from Vienna, but it was, I mean, it was an incredible experience. Talk about, so you've, you know, you played semi-BC high school basketball. You played high school in Minneapolis. You played AAU. You played D2. You played U-Sport. And now it's like, what is the, like, what's the program like even there? Like I, cause I know, you know, lots of friends that have played overseas too. And I, and just hear like, what's the difference? Like, huh? you know what? It yeah. was coming from UBC where we had, like, we were well coached mm-hmm. and I knew my last year I was all Canadian and I had like a flashing yellow. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to play good basketball. I had to play unselfish basketball at the pro level. You have to produce every single night. Like you could literally score 30 and if you lose, you're going home. Mm. So for the first time it was like, and then I saw, it was the first real time that I like saw what I thought was selfishness. And I had a real hard time with that because I came from a program where it was like, these were like my brothers, like everyone I knew wanted to win at all costs for every single game. And like you talked about, you know, scoring 21 night 
playing 10 minutes the next yeah. but just knowing that that was the way it was going to go because that was what was best for the team right yeah, yeah like being okay with okay like i could go to a bad team and average 25 in college or i could be a part of a winning program and average 10 and yep it's it is what it is yeah um yeah so that that was kind of disappointing but it was a shock so i remember like there'd be possessions where i'd be like waiting for the extra pass to come to make the right basketball play and it would just never seem to happen um but my two imports were fantastic like they're great guys um but it just at that level it's like a business and it you know hungry is probably it's on like the lower side of the average say league in, in europe but still, like again, so many good basketball players. I remember I played Rodney Magruder. Who's Rodney playing for now? I think Clippers or something. Corps. Yeah, Rod- Clippers. Yeah. So Rodney, uh, Rodney was playing over there, and I had to guard this guy, and then I'm guarding Justin Holiday the next. Like, there's just good players everywhere. Um, so th- that was cool, and just the whole cultural experience, like to kind of be in a different country, and it's. Uh, you, you're like the ticket over there, right? Because it's like these small towns. But it was it was wild because they're literally like soccer hooligans. Like I remember we were playing this game and they call them derby games. We're playing, it's like 45 minutes away, but there's in this tiny gym, people are smoking cigarettes, drinking mad beers. They got flares in the arena. I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. So we, And then at halftime, we hit like a buzzer beater. This one game sticks out. We hit a buzzer beater. And we go in, and we had to have like riot shields over top of us because they were throwing beers at us. <laughs> My teammates were scared. I'm like, this is awesome, boys. I was fired up in the locker room. Um, but yeah, it was it was just like Waited the level. my whole life for this. Yeah. <laughs> the level of passion that those people have over there because it's, you know, that's, they don't have the NBA. That's like the reality. They probably yeah. work you know job to be able to support their local uh sports team but yeah it was uh it was fun man i have fond memories of that that's cool and then ironically the hoops journey basketball playing wise you know starts to come to an end and when do you transition to think okay this is it is it your body breaking down is it you just know the time is right and then now you know let's just spend the next kind of 15 you know you've given us a lot of your time so we really appreciate it but um how do you get to where you are now like sitting on this couch and the experiences that you've had outside of playing mm-hmm. you know some of the people and the things that you've been able to do might even be even cooler than during your playing days right yeah like yeah yeah no, i've been, I've been yeah. really fortunate man that's like when i look back at my career the adversity that i had which i thought at the time was awful and it like kind of um push what i thought was going to be the my future in terms of basketball like off track a couple times has actually been the biggest blessing in disguise for me because like i've learned to become very you know very just just to be able to persevere um through the game which is has served me well and if any kids listen to this it's not you know like i always say the podcast is called the hoops journey it literally is about the journey it's not about the destination you gotta enjoy each and every moment and, and take it for what it is and just try to learn from it but after i got done playing um I had no idea what I was going to do. It was like my body was breaking down. Like I had Achilles issues and stuff. I'd push my body so hard that I couldn't play at like the level I wanted to. My game was kind of predicated on athleticism towards the end, like strength. So if I couldn't do that, I was like, what's the point here? And uh, I was just, you know, like every Sam Cassell and just yeah. shoot, like free throw line jumpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the <laughs> at end, speed three. Yeah. I was really, really paranoid about just like what's next. Like I didn't want to be the dude who was like 33 years old going around these marginal leagues in Europe and then having no life experience. Um, and I actually 
I met a like good friend of mine, a good friend of ours, Mark Starkey. Mark had just left Nike at the time, and uh, we had started our little basketball academy just like surely as a passion project because I didn't like the way that, you know, like the youth hoop scene was going and neither did he and thought, what the heck, let's do this thing. And we did it for that summer and it took off. It's like kind of just anytime you do anything, you try to do it for the right reasons, you know, usually it takes off, but it, the, it went pretty well. Are those um, standards, are they still at STM? <laughs> Oh, from the combine. Signed the other combine, the first ever combine. I'm like, yo, when are you guys going to take these back? (laughs) Poor Susan. They're definitely still there. Yeah, somewhere. (laughs) Lost those in the war. Yeah. Um, And I got into, yeah, Mark owns, he started uh, Victory Creative Group, which is where I now work. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. So we we get through this summer. And uh, at the end of it, I'm like, yo, like, I got a job offer in France and I'm still eyeing this up, but I'm like in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm scared. Like, I don't want to piss this all away and then be back at squares at, uh, you know, square one. So he goes to me, he goes, well, do you want to start working at the agency? And I was like, what's an agency? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah. And then I, I, I took a job as a, as a project manager, which I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Um, but for like the next 18 months, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, fortunate to work with, you know, Mark left Nike. So we had some some pretty cool uh, jobs there and stuff with Nike. But I still had no idea what the heck I was doing. You want to talk about having to have like perseverance and toughness. You throw yourself into that kind of situation where you know one thing your whole life. And then all of a sudden you're like your bottom of the barrel on the team. And you don't know what the heck is going on. But again, super humbling. Um, and uh, so I was there for like three years. And then I just missed hoops. I got a call. Um, I was actually at my 10-year reunion. Uh, Kyle Julius called me. And Kyle, I remember one of my first year at UBC, I went out there, I met him. And uh, I just saw that I'm like, this dude is exactly like me. He's a white guy from Thunder Bay, and he made it. Like, I need to know exactly what this guy did. So I kept in contact with Kyle, and I would just pick his brain, like, throughout my, my college career and just say, like, what do I need to do here in terms of workouts? What does what my day need, day need to look like and stuff like that? Um, and we kept in contact, but then we kind of lost contact. And then I started to post stuff about, like, basketball on social media again. And Kyle reached out to me. And he said, hey, um, I got a job offering. Like, I got a job opening here in London. Um, have you ever thought about coaching? And I'd never thought about coaching at all. I never thought I'd ever be a coach. Like, I didn't, I, I, my biggest fear was that I was going to run into someone like me and I would like, I'd fight a kid on the basketball court. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, but if, I just missed hoops. Like I missed the competitiveness of hoops. They would say there's nothing like game day. So I jumped. My first contract as a coach was $2,000 a month. I could barely even pay like my, I couldn't pay my bills. Let's go. But, That's uh, like first year teaching salary, but it, but it was, it was wild. I mean, I didn't have synergy at the time. So synergy is like a, it's a software you use as a coach and it cuts up film for you. So you like give your game film and whatever and it cuts everything up for you get clips in the morning. Well, I didn't have I didn't have synergy. So I was literally cutting 60 hours of film a week. We we play it was nuts. But off like what? Apple Movie or Apple Movie yeah. like cutting this by hand. <laughs> cutting this by hand. Like I was staying up all night having to work these guys out being younger than some of the guys having to try to figure that all out and having like Kyle who's like myself now looking as I'm a head coach, super demanding. I know what the heck I was doing again. Um, but throughout that process, I fell in love with it. Um, the next year, I went out to St. John's, which was wild, uh, in the same league in the NBL. Um, actually, Carl English, who's become a really good friend of mine, um, got me the job. I was they, they were potentially going to give me the head job, but I was just too Canadian young. Canadian legend, Carl English. Oh, man. If, yeah. For those of you guys that 
haven't heard his story yeah that's when you got to hear he yeah. actually has a book out that's fantastic but uh yeah you want to talk about tough dude that's one of the toughest dudes i've ever met yeah and bona fide yeah the guy can score the basketball. He can shoot the heck out of it. So I was out there year one as an assistant. Uh, and then after that, I got hired as head coach um, at 30, which was wild. Coaching Carl English. My boy, Carl. Yeah. Don't take this personally, but you're going downhill. And it was uh, that was interesting coaching Carl at the end of his career. Because <laughs> I got the job essentially because Carl was my boy. And he saw like how hard I was working behind the scenes. And in that kind of a league, like you're either, you know, you're either an up and coming coach or you're kind of at the end of your career. Um, so I was fortunate to get that opportunity. But that was that was like one of the first real challenges in my coaching career, trying to navigate like the whole interpersonal relationship between like you know you got the relationship you got the job based on your relationship but the relationship might be the end of your job so to speak so that that was it was a challenge but but a great year um and uh the next year sorry i'm getting my story mixed up here that was my first year then i get the job but we so the first year that I was there, Carl had a great year. Um, and St. John's was fantastic. Like, it was crazy because you're, for those of you that haven't been out east, it's, it's just like a different part of the world. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but it was fantastic. Like, we would, I mean, it's minor league pro basketball, and we would have between six to 7,000 people at a game. Yeah. And Newfies are a special breed. Yeah. Um, and it was wild. And then, anyways, the next year, come back, Carl was a little bit banged up and stuff, but that was my first opportunity to be a head coach. Um, and we we go into the season and Carl was kind of doing some GM stuff too and I was I was worried about the guards he was gonna worry about the bigs a couple of these names fell through and then Carl's hurt to start the year we start the season one and five my first head coaching job I'm like man I'm gonna get fired before this thing even pops off is this big baby year this is big baby year so five five games into the season I'm like I, I gotta get a big like we had no bigs zero bigs you could have started for us <laughs> at least you could have set a screen so i call this guy this agent in new york and i say you know is glenn available sure enough glenn davis is available he was in croatia he got released or whatever it's i mean it's hard for these guys that were in the nba to like as your career uh kind of like trickles down there to go from i can only imagine to go from being with the boston celtics and then all of a sudden it's like now you're playing in the NBL or whatever, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, that, that's got to be tough mentally and, and just to, for what you're used to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, that, that, was, uh, that was ups and downs for sure that year. Me and Glenn uh, got into it a bunch of times, but I remember day one of practice where there was no media. So like the first week, everything was great. Mm-hmm. He comes in and, you know, it's all roses. Then, but I'm running this thing like it's semi-pro basketball. So I'm, we're doing two days. Like mm-hmm. we're literally training like dogs. Well, mm-hmm. In the NBA, apparently, you don't practice like dogs, mm. especially as you're a veteran. So me and Glenn, I were doing this drill, and I remember Glenn's late, like kind of lazy to put his shoes on, and I just say, "Hey, are you uh, Glenn? Are you to practice today?" And Glenn, uh, he goes, "Man," he groans. I say, "You know what, Glenn? Just put your shoes on, man. Just go home for today." We have this big blow up, and then we actually got in each other's face. But from that moment going forward, that was kind of when we had like a mutual respect for each other, and. Um, it was a fun year. It was it was definitely a ride. But as a young coach, like to be tested like that every single day, and to have someone that had that pedigree and had seen like he played for Thibodeau, he played for Doc, mm-hmm. so it was as much of a learning experience for me, I'm sure, as it was a learning experience for him with how to you know navigate that playing semi pro basketball in Newfoundland for a young coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was wild. It was so I got Carl English and I got Glenn Davis on my team, and I'm 30 years old as a first year head coach. <laughs> It was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. 
Yeah, that's one thing we talked about too is like, and you mentioned before, just kind of transitioning from whenever it is when basketball or sport, like you're no longer attached to it in the same Mm -hmm. way. And then the time that it takes to like figure out who you are. Yeah. Right. And like, I'm sure at some point, you know, some of that blow up from, from big baby is like, he realizes things are kind of coming to an end. Right. He's like, I'm in St. John's like what's happening here. Yeah. So it's almost an insecurity and like wants to relive those moments. So he's slowly figuring out like, man, who am I? And, and what does the next 20 years man, like of my the life whole, look like? The, the whole like detoxification process from playing for any athlete at any it's level, tough, like man. even if you only played high school basketball, yeah. you know, like when you're really that um, involved in anything to be able to get off of it, you need to redefine like who you are. It yeah. doesn't matter if you played for, you know, until college or you played pros, like it's, uh, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and so now, you know, you, you said kind of like you're taking a step away. So what does the future hold for you? What is... You know what? Where does where does you know before we move into the real important questions of the podcast? Uh, <laughs> what is like in in ten years? Where does Doug Plum want to be, and what does he want to be doing? Where do you view yourself? I'll never get away from the game. I mean, the game is in my blood. Um, I have a, a passion for youth basketball, and and not just the teaching of the game, but like the the true mentorship of the game and using the game as a vehicle um, to kind of show these kids like the way that I was taught the game and, and, and the lessons that the game taught me to meet people like you and to meet all these kind of old heads and the sense of community whoa, and the whoa, sense whoa. of belonging. Whoa, whoa. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> the sense of belonging and uh, and just that community, I'm trying to, that that's one thing that I'm really passionate about and trying to reintroduce that to these kids and try to kind of give them a little bit of like an old school mentality. I just think that in this day and age, a lot of these kids, they never really hear no and they never get challenged at a young age. And you get these kids who, I mean, the game ends for all of us, right? But if you come out of the game and you're ready to to kind of take the challenges that the world has for you head on, um, that that's w- what I'm passionate about. Um, in terms of work, um, it, it seems to be ever evolving. Um, I'm, I'm working on some marketing stuff now and, and still involved in basketball every single day very fortunate i have a great group of people that i work with at victory um so shout yeah out, shout out ton shout out big ton ton bad let's go no um, so i mean yeah like it, it's to be honest i don't really know I'm, I'm happy to be home for the first time because i've been doing this for so long the game's been so good to me but like since i've been 14 years old it's been like one year at a time where am i now where am i now and with what's going on with my dad and stuff like that i just felt like it's time for for me to kind of stop chasing the next thing with hoops and kind of settle in and, mm-hmm. and build a life. Yeah, I think like one thing I've always respected about you is like, I know people like we talk all the time or whatever is like, Oh my God, you're crazy. But it's like, when I say like, you're crazy, like part of me is envious of you having the ability to recognize where you are in your life and say yes to things that most people wouldn't mm-hmm. like how many people are just going to pack up, grab a, three bags of stuff and go like fly out to London, Ontario. You know what I mean? Like just on a whim or like, and take the opportunities. Like I would overthink the crap out of that. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I think. And I think because you've been able to do that and be vulnerable, like you've created so many great experiences and learn and learn from so many things. It's like Brene Brown, right? It's like, you know, why do we give credence or like, listen to what people are telling us that aren't in the ring with us every day. Like we take, we try to, people want to tell us what to do and they, you know, they have opinions on who we are, but if they're not in the ring with you, like dusting off, like wiping off the blood, why do we give what they have to say value? Right. Yeah. And I think that's what I appreciate about you is like, you do care about people. I'm not saying, you, I'm just saying like, you're not afraid to just jump into a situation that 
most people would be super uncomfortable with and probably would avoid, right? And because you've been able to do that, look at like the story that you have. And this is why I wanted to have you on is like, not because like, you know, you worked out at STM and like I coached you. It's because Mm -hmm. your story is like crazy. When you think about the couple hours we've been talking and what you've been through, like we haven't even talked about like you working with Carmelo Anthony and like pro NBA players, like just because you were not afraid to be afraid. I'm yeah. sure sometimes you're on a plane and you're like, oh, oh God. for sure. Even oh God. still like, to this what, day. Yeah, like what's happening, right? You just got to fake it to make it. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. I think it all, I mean, to be honest, I bring it back to my parents. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm super fortunate to have the upbringing that I had and they always kind of just taught me to be bold um, and to, to, even if you are afraid, just to go for it, that you're not always going to know. Um, yeah. It's awesome, man. We appreciate it. Corbs. Got a question for Doug. I know you rolled your eyes like three times while we were talking because Corbs always has like a question that he thinks, but we always cover it. So then he gets rattled because he can't think on the fly. <laughs> he can't think on the fly and come up with a question. Um, do you have one? Look at the face on this guy right now. If we could be live, he would. Yeah, he looks rattled. I got, I got nothing. 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 Well, I mean, like I had a chance to, you know, you when you first started Academy, Vancouver, Bas- uh, Vancouver Academy, and now you're doing with grit, right? I. Like I didn't really know you that well, and I hear you know I talked to Mitch about you, and I didn't know much about you, and like I would just I would just respect so much about you got you talk the talk right, and you walk the walk especially right, just you know trying to teach kids how to you know have some grit right, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, as a junior coach and you see around you go to tournaments and just kids don't really have it and uh, yeah and I, and then you've been really uh, gracious with. You know, answering some questions for me, like as I slide in the DMs with her once in a while, right? And uh, slide on all, mate. <laughs> no, man, for sure. Like, I think it all comes back to, um, like guys like Mitch, guys like Goulet, guy, these these guys that have uh, impacted me through the game. Like, they didn't they didn't need to do that for me. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, I just at all times try to think, okay, even if I'm tired or something, I don't want to do something like these guys did it for me. Like it's my turn now to pay it forward, which is a weird thing to say. Like now I'm kind of like, I'm that guy. I'm like the old head for these young guys. It's uh life moves quick, but no, man, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I try to, the, the little bit that I do know, try to volunteer that, you know, time and energy and just help progress the game as much as I can. Okay, man. What what do you think about ketchup on macaroni? Disgusting. Yes. Let's move on quickly. Thank you. Why? Just they're not meant to be. It's just like macaroni is delicious in its own right. Last night I literally had three boxes of macaroni training for grit day. White cheddar, elite. There you go. Oh, the white cheddar. White cheddar. White cheddar. Yeah, Annie's too. Uh, My brother, Annie's is better than Kraft Dinner. Way better. Way better. Now that I have Eli, it is. It's way better. And they got different flavors. It's good. They've tried the red box, like the four cheese. It's solid too. It's more of like a penne, but it's solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to give it a go. You got to yeah. go to Costco to get that? No, no. Any store. Okay. All Mine's right. not always there though. Well, it's creme de la creme. It's hot. Uh, okay. So you like hop on the treadmill here. If you have like five artists to spin through, 
What's your top five? Or Ooh. do you have a top five rappers? Do you want to get into that? Are you that? Top five rappers. I'm, I'm pretty diverse with my music. Yeah, I know that you I listen are. To. This is one, so yeah. like, sometimes you send me some stuff and I'm like, yo, really? <laughs> you like, you just give before before you click on it, man. This is what it's like. It's more of a smooth vibe. Give it a try. I'm really like, preface it before me before I actually you listen to it. You know what? So I've been, I've, been, uh, I've been really big on the Beanie Siegel train lately. Beanie Siegel's been bumping. I was listening to uh, bars, bars, yeah. bars, bars. Uh, then I take it back to Dermot Kennedy. I like Dermot Kennedy. That's when I send you. Where Mitch will be like, "Man, what are you sending me right now?" <laughs> um, mainstream. You know, I've been I've been going back and listening to some old Drake stuff. He's got hits. He's got hits. He's got hits. I got to give hits. it to him. He's Canadian. Yeah. Come on, you got to support that Canadian content. The, the argument is never that he doesn't have hits. I'm like, not going to go mainstream with like my hip hop guys here. Like old, like early Kanye. Early Kanye was fire. Yep, hundred uh, percent. And then I can't go wrong with Jay Z. Thank you. That's what I got. Love it. Um, you kind of you touched on it a little bit, but like. Who was the most important most important person in your life? You know, was it your parents? You just mentioned like who, or maybe there's a couple people that have been the most important people in your life to kind of help you get where you are and teach you along the way. Yeah, I think um, obviously, I mean, the easy answer is my parents, but I think from an influence standpoint, it's got to be you know parents, teachers, and coaches. So I think about all the just like great teachers I had growing up and stuff like that that took an interest in me outside of sport. And then obviously the coaches that I've had along the way, um, and, and to be able to pinpoint it to like one person, it's really, really challenging. I'm fortunate that I have like a really good support system. Um, but if I had to choose like one nucleus, obviously it's my family. I'm really close to my family. So my mom, my dad, and my brother, um, yeah, kind of a cliche answer there, but this is what it is. Oh man, it's all good. Um, and you know, you talked about some mentors along the way anyways, and you know, recognizing your coach at D2 as hard as he was, you look back and you're like, man, it was so worth it. Like mm-hmm. I needed that, you know? So yeah. there's just little bits and pieces along the way. Um, okay. So you got like $4. What bag of chips are you grabbing? What is the best chip on the market? Hmm. You know what? I'm I'm simple, man. I'm going like ruffles all dressed. Let's go. Those are top five easily. Oh, yep. it's elite. Yeah, yeah. That's not simple. That's not. Why is that simple? I, I just feel like yeah. you were you wanted like some crazy nah. Miss Vicky's no, no. combo or something That's like everything. that. Everything. Steve Hansen. Yeah. Eight bags. Got like or... seven bags on the go. He's sampling them all. It's like no man, Russell. Yeah, I'm down. Just mean potatoes, man. Hundred percent. Love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, this is a two-parter. We got two more questions for you. Unless Corb somehow has come up with something here, no um, zero chance. In your opinion, who's the greatest basketball player that's ever played, mm. and who, for you, whether you've coached or played against, who are some of the greatest players that you've had the opportunity? Um, obviously, you can't say like Carmelo. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. No, that doesn't count. And no. The whole skill training thing. We didn't get into that. I want you to touch yeah, we, on that. We didn't. That world's a dirty world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the best like the best basketball player of all time is undoubtedly Michael Jordan. I mean, how can you even argue that? But MJ was like before my time. Like I remember the, the MJ that I know was based off of me going back and being a hoops head and watching old tapes and stuff like that. But I didn't live yeah. like I didn't live that in the moment. I wish I did. Mamba. So Kobe was going. Kobe was obviously my guy. Talk about like some people that are going to listen to this might be offended. Um, like Vic and Scotty guys. I know that 
consider themselves Kobe fans and are huge Kobe fans. I don't know if there's a bigger one that I've met than you, but talk about towards the end of his career, the experiences you got to have. And just like, this is, it's been interesting for me because like I did get prime MJ. I got a little bit of magic. Um, You know, I got that sort of nineties and then, you know, for me, it was like Kobe was around, but I never really was, I wasn't paying attention to, mm-hmm. to it. And it's like, there's so many people that that is their generational MJ, right? Yeah, I yeah. think it's dope. Like I didn't, I didn't really realize. And then him passing so early, I think has made, um, you know, people even appreciate him more. Right. So mm-hmm. just talk about like why Kobe and, and the experience. Cause you've had. So the thing cool that really resonated with me with Kobe, um, was his work ethic. <laughs> like people will tell these stories about Kobe and, I mean, I was, I was that guy, like I was psychotic with my process and I just, I mean, I don't know a bigger gym rat that I met growing up than myself. So I always used to use him as inspiration because like my body would be on the brink, my blood sugar would be low and I'd be thinking like, yo, what's Kobe doing right now? I'd just be reading these psychotic stories about like this guy waking up at four in the morning um, and do, you know, training just relentlessly for like months on end all the time and never seeming to run out of gas or run out of uh, inspiration. So and then when I got into his game, um, I mean, obviously the guy, his game speaks for itself, but, uh, something that I really appreciated about him, um, is just like, he was critically flawed, you know, like he, the guy was not perfect and he, I mean, who knows if MJ was, we never really got to see behind the scenes a little bit with him, with, uh, the last dance, but, um, you really live like his, the highs and lows with his whole journey, um, both on the court and off the court. So it kind of humanized him to me, which I could appreciate. My dad's like a pretty emotional dude. Um, so to see that in like a star that I it could resonate, like, yo, this dude is actually like, as much as he's, he's obsessed with this craft, like he, he does have flaws. And to see someone that I looked up to, um, kind of grow and, and accept those, those, uh, character attributes i thought that that was pretty cool that really resonated with me um but obviously like the guy was a walking bucket so and and just like the the, how his game evolved and how he was so meticulous about attacking his weaknesses and i mean it speaks for itself but yeah i was really fortunate i got to go to his last game i was actually sitting four rows up um which was wild i mean i remember he started and it was that that season was like painful to watch like me and me and dylan we talked dylan gatner buddy i was talking about earlier um he might be the if i'm 1a he's 1b like that was what our friendship was based on just watching kobe games and uh but together we're like man i can't i can't watch this it's like i I couldn't watch the last season like i just watched if i heard he had a good game i go back and rewatch it but uh i remember i walked into work and uh i had an envelope on my desk and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I open this envelope and there's there's two tickets in it. Um, and I open it up and it's like row four. I'm losing my mind. Hop on a flight, get down to LA. It was surreal. Kobe comes out, he's shitting the bed. He is awful to start the game. Like he is jacking. And the, and the Lakers aren't going anywhere. So anyways, he Joe Ingles comes down and he like hits a shot on Kobe and he slaps Kobe on the butt and he starts talking junk to him. And it was hilarious. He was like vintage Kobe. You saw this thing just snap in him. And then he went off obviously for 60 and the rest is history but yeah that was a pretty special moment and then i actually got to go to his jersey retirement too which was cool and i mean we've all obviously that his passing is super sad but yeah, i'm super uh super fortunate that i got to experience those things you get a chance to listen to his uh podcast with all, all the, the smoke, smoke. That's right. a good one. Yeah, I've listened fantastic. to it like 10 times. It's like one of the few downloads that I've saved. It's like so good, right? Yeah. And I think 
probably the saddest part like because i'll admit i was never really a kobe fan but like he just never really got to move on to life after basketball For sure. right you okay. know what's funny though he's kind of the one guy that you never really see guys like that in any discipline that are absolute killers <laughs> they have a hard time letting go and he seemed like he was completely done with it yeah in a great way like he yeah. was ready to move on which i thought was really cool yeah it was interesting um, um, awesome, man. This has been great. Last question for you before we go is, if you could do it all again, you would. I'd do nothing different. I can honestly say that I'd do nothing different. I mean, maybe like little situations here and there where yeah. I might have got in trouble or, or said something <laughs> stupid. But no, man, like I think my journey through the game, I've been, I've been super fortunate and blessed to be able to experience the game in the way that I experienced it. I feel like it's kind of shaped you know, who I am as a person. Um, and all, all, if not most of my relationships come from the game. So like I said, I can't really remember one game more than the other, but I mean, I love my family. I love my friends. I love the, the life that I have and the people that are in it. And I can thank the game for that. So I don't think I would change anything. It's awesome, man. It's dope answer. Uh, you know, I was excited to finally get you on. You have, as we've talked about, you have a lead a busy life and, uh, judging by your apartment, you have some settling in to do, um, <laughs> but we do appreciate you being on. And I think like you said, right. Is like, you're, I'm now an old head. You're like slowly becoming one. So mm-hmm. like you are the bridge, like you guys are like guys like Corbs are the bridge between me and the young ones as I, with each step, like, okay, I got Snapchat. I got IG. I can't do TikTok. Like it just slowly, I start to phase myself out, right? I think that I'm current, but I'm really I mean, not. isn't isn't Trump squashing TikTok anyways? I think you're good. Something like that, yeah. yeah. let's not go there. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, any other shout-outs, any other comments, someone that you didn't mention or uh, anything that you want to say before we let you go? And uh, thank you again so much for your time. Mm-hmm. No, I really appreciate being on. No, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I've, I've talked quite a bit here. People probably want to shut this thing off. But uh, <laughs> no, man, thanks a lot for having me on. You guys are doing a great job with this, and it's cool to be able to just to hear the the human stories behind the people that you didn't really know a lot about or you competed against them and to hear their stories it's it's you guys are doing a good thing it's cool thanks man appreciate it yeah and it's that's what it's about you know journey like you said journey over destination and and just allowing people like you know someone is just to hop on your instagram and kind of see photos and they'd be like oh that's kind of cool but to actually hear the ins and outs that's what it's about so thanks again buddy cool all right guys shout out to our uh what are they called sponsors Parkside, Parkside Brewery, it's starting to feel like fall overnight, so enjoy those summer days. Get on the patio, grab a cold beer. Um, again, hop on the sea bus, get over to Good Lad Clothing. They got some good sales coming and going. Grab a coffee, say hi to our boy Shane Meyer. Not one person has yet name-dropped a hoops journey to get 10% off. Do it, get 10% off. Be well. Can't wait for our next episode. Thanks to Doug, Corbs. We'll be in touch. Bye for now.